Elliot Goldstein is hosting a radio and podcast show out of New Mexico called NMDJ Presents Fly on the Wall. We are building a fresh, fabulous podcast library of musicians, writers, artists, and all good people of note, with many new and exciting guests to come. We are listener-funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. We appreciate your help. We would like to thank Alan Gower for the intro music. Enjoyed the show. Hey guys, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall podcast. I'd like to tell you how I got started. Um, I really had no idea on um, the beginnings of what had even where to start. And I stumbled upon Anchor by Spotify. And it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. And I'll explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. And um, when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast automatically on listening platforms. I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. I'm on other uh, platforms. And it, Anchor made it so simple. And um, it's all in one place. Everything you need to make a podcast, you can find in one place. And um, the amazing part is it's all free. So um, there is no uh, downside to any of this. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's Anchor, A-N-C-H-O-R. And again, it's the Anchor app or anchor.fm. And it's real easy to get started. And um, thank you for listening to Fly on the Wall and uh, back to the show. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Two-time Grammy Award-winning bassist and a native of the heralded Morrisania section of the Bronx, Jerry Gemmott has been a performer since the age of five, starting as a tap dancer with Mary Bruce's Starbuds in Harlem, performing at Carnegie Hall in their annual reviews. This rhythm blues-slash-jazz bassist, a disciple of Paul Chambers and Charles Mingus, was a key architect of the Atlantic Records and Muscle Shoals sound of the 1960s and 1970s. Jerry's body of work illuminates the times both then and now as he played on the recordings of The Revolution Will Not Be Televised, People Got To Be Free, The Universal Prisoner, Games People Play, Think, Eleanor Rigby, The Weight, Attica Blues, Why I Sing the Blues, The Thrill Is Gone, made a recent cameo solo performance in the film Mitchellville and had a starring role in the feature documentary Jacko. 
So, let's join Elliot and Jerry as they laughed their way through two hours of incredible information and stories. I unfortunately I had um, a childhood that was full of um, um, head injuries, so I didn't um, hear very well, and I didn't didn't have a very good memory, and so I was kind of like very withdrawn. And what happened was, after about my fifth or sixth head injury, I I got hit by a car when I was nine. Whoa. And prior to that, I had entered school. I had um, scored high on a reading test, um, like on the fir- first year of college level. Sure. And shortly after that, I got hit by a car, put me in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And when I came out of the hospital, somewhere after that, I decided the music I'd been listening to prior to that with Errol Garner and Peter, Paul, and Mary, and Odetta, Nina Simone. Right. Um, folk music, jazz um, that my sister would bring home. All of a sudden, the bass stood out where it hadn't stood out before. And I said to myself, I can do that. I want to do that. And that was it. That was the beginning of my, you know, entry in the music. I was 10 then. Wow. And did you think the head injury had something to do with you uh, picking up on the bass end of it? Oh, yeah, without a doubt, because I heard the music before, and it never dawned on me or ever impressed me that when, when that, that that particular instrument stood out. In fact, the reason why I picked it was uh-huh. the fact that you couldn't really hear it that well, or at least I couldn't hear it that well, and I, I assume everybody else couldn't hear it that well, so I felt comfortable playing an instrument that couldn't be heard that well and couldn't be seen because it was in the back of the band. Yeah. So I said, okay, I, w- I can do that. Uh-huh. I want to do that. Well. That, was a, that was my rationale because I was very withdrawn and paranoid having suffered a lot of those head injuries. And I didn't even realize that back then, believe me. I'm just knowing this now because yeah. I was forced to write my memoirs five years ago. Okay, you know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. sit down and start recalling all these things. And I didn't really want to recall them, but they just came and they kept on coming. My sister told me stories about things that happened to me. Then I have friends who would tell me stories about what happened to them. And then it happened to them again and again. <laughs> Uh, it's a constant threat when you have a head injury that you're going to get another one and another one and another one. Sure. And sometimes well, they kick in with problems, mental problems, like later on in life. Sometimes you can get go over them. Uh, sometimes you can't. You learn, you learn to hide them, basically. Right. And you work around them. Okay. And uh, you Like any other thing that, you know, people come up with, their ability or inability, they try to, you know, you try to hide it or disguise it or, you know, you don't want to see it. Um, but it it, it appears it's you know it sticks out yeah. and you have to deal with it at some point. Now, now, uh, were you good in sports? That was playing sports. I no, I couldn't play sports because I played basketball. I went and I went up for a rebound. I come down, I'd be on the floor because I'd be dizzy. Okay. Then high school, I went. I tried. I went out for the football team. Played wide receiver, and that didn't work out too well. Okay. So um, I love I love sports alone. Although I yeah. have a great connection with sports, uh-huh. and the fact that it's competitive, it's um, it's teamwork involved in it. Yeah, and um, a lot of my musical um, learning and teaching comes from a system I learned from Connie Hawkins, a great Nick um, basketball player. Okay, learned his um, system of uh, this realization of how to play the game of basketball and how to get the teamwork involved. And so I've used that. Adopted his system into my music teaching system. Yeah, because so, so it's um, I'm I'm a keyboard player. I play piano, you know, keyboards. And, okay. Uh, and the reason why I play keyboards is <clears throat> I sucked at sports. 
<laughs> no, 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 no. This is the, this is the, this is the truth. I was terrible. I, they, they would pick they would pick the kid in the wheelchair before me, and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, yeah. and what happened was, um, you know, when I was a kid, I know when you were a kid, they didn't give out a trophy for fifteenth place. You know, you had, no, you had, no, no, you, no. You had to be a good, uh, you know, you had to be good enough to play. If not, you were, somebody was picked before you. You know, mm-hmm. it wasn't like you had to win. So when all my right. friends, so when all my friends are out there playing baseball or football, I was home practicing the piano, and I found out I could do that. And um, you know, I liked doing it, and I did it, you know, mm-hmm. rel- relatively well. And so that's how I got into music because I sucked at sports. Uh, okay, welcome uh, to the club. Yeah. Welcome to the family of music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So me and you, yeah, me and you would make one hell of a team. Right. <laughs> um, well, we got to do something then. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We we'll be. I'll tell you, we we we'd really be fun playing tennis, the two of us. <laughs> uh, no, yeah, yeah. Me, my, I couldn't hear the ball. I can't yeah, see the ball. Me neither. <laughs> and, I, and I and I'd probably be dizzier than you. So you're okay. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's we'll great. stay away from that. Yeah, we'll stay away from that. So that's you know, we write a song, tennis for two. Tennis for two, yeah, tennis for two. I'll tell you, the ball that we use would be the luckiest ball ever made. It would never get hit. Man, <laughs> it would be it would be so big. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's uh, that was my um, entrance into music, and but uh, you know, so so we're back in the Bronx, and you, and you started playing bass. How did you get involved in? Um, in going pro, how did that all come about? Well, it's funny. I was in the um, all city, all all Bronx Junior High School Orchestra. Okay. After my first year playing, I was the, the principal bassist, and there were three of us. And they, we made a recording. That was my first recording session over that summer. Wow. And in fact, um, people that I met from there, we're still friends up until this day. Richard Dubin, Larry Hall. Um, a lot of them have passed on. Those are the ones that are still alive that I can remember right off the top of my head. Sure. Um, but um, after that, we made the recording, and you couldn't hear the basses at all. I mean, I was totally pissed. I mean, we had three of us. We were working hard to play our part. We played Mozart's Water Music. Um, right. We played the Pathetic Sympathy. 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 Symphony by Tchaikovsky. Number six. Uh-huh. And you couldn't hear the beautiful bass lines you were playing. And I was like, I said, man, I got to work harder. I got to work harder. So I just worked harder trying to get a bigger sound. And um, I was going, taking my bass across town to play with a couple of jam sessions with a couple of kids I had met at the um, junior high school summer program. And uh, while in this um, boys club, um, some older men, older, I, I was 12 at this time. Yeah. Um, they uh, they invited me to join their band, and I said, "Sure, you know, fine with me." But you gotta ask my mother. So yeah, yeah. They, they drove me home, <laughs> uh-huh. and my, my I got to they got the approval of my mother to join the band. She checked them out, and okay. the band was composed of myself. I was twelve on bass. Ray was the drummer. He was twelve. He was thirty. The tenor player was forty. Jerry Guerrero, and the leader, Smile and Henry. Wow. It was in the sixties. Wow, wow, wow! He played uh, piano and guitar, and had a, a, a piano shop. He repaired pianos. Oh, that's cool! So that was my start. We worked three nights a week. 
Wow. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, in bars, dance clubs, ballrooms. And from that job, you go get other musicians because that time when you did one gig, there would be like four or five, six bands on the gig, right. especially a ballroom gig. So you have a Latin band, a Calypso band, a jazz band, a blues band, uh, a featured vocalist band, and then not be our band, but to be the variety band. What I named six, seven bands. Yeah. Um. So um. This is how it went. This is how I grew up. Wow. So you're constantly exposed to different kinds of music and playing different kinds of music um, in between sets of the other bands. And uh, one thing leads to another. And, and after after that, um, when I switched over to electric bass, um, I got a call from Rudy Stevenson, who I'd done one of these gigs with playing um, an upright bass. And he had me playing electric bass. And he got me on a Nina Simone session after my first year on electric in 65. So that was cool. Wow. Everything was moving. So you were one of the first... Um like electric bass bass players on the east coast you know in new york um yeah um among them yeah yeah i know there uh, were a lot of cats yeah uh, right around that time guys like harvey brooks started playing mm -hmm. electric bass and um yeah felix papillardi was a uh, folk guy who started mm -hmm. playing electric bass and um yeah so you were you were in that uh group which is incredible and um so you started with nina simone well tell me that's not a Incredible. Yeah, right? Yeah, wow. After after listening to her in my house all the time because a kid growing up, because my sister loved, you know, yeah. she was like an activist like my mother. Uh -huh. um, so she was on the front lines of, you know, trying to make things right, you know, in the music she listened to. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to all the protests of Harry Belafonte, right. Odetta, Peter, Paul, and Mary, um, the whole um, Kingston trio. Sure. And this is what I was around, you know, besides that, going to my aunts and uncles, listening to the Fats Waller yeah. and Duke Ellington and Count Basie at their house. You know, it was a whole, you know, as you grow up, you're hearing this different flavors of music. Um, and never really, I wasn't really that interested in playing anything until I came out the hospital. Right. So, well, you know, but once I came out, it was like, you know, all bets were off. Let's, let's go for it. There was a lucky shot you took, huh? I guess so, man. I, I I don't remember what happened. I remember running downstairs out my house and running in the street. And got. they tell me after that, they t it's all like what people told have told me. Right. How yeah. long I was in the hospital, I was told I was in there for two weeks. I don't remember nothing. Well, and it's, um. so the music your mom and your sister listened to was actually socialist music what they back then. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, it was mm -hmm. because, you know, I came from... um. A liberal Jewish background, and my uh, um, my grandparents came from Russia, and mm -hmm. you know they, they they kept a little kind of really close knit family thing going, and they listened to Harry Belafonte and uh, okay, you know Pete Seeger and, and the Weavers, and Pete Seeger, yeah, you know, the Weavers, yeah, Odetta, and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and all that stuff, and um, yeah, so it's the same kind of music that uh, you know that. Uh, was played at my, you know, it was being played at my house, and uh, yeah. then, then I then I f discovered some of the music my mother was listening to at the time, and I found her Fats Domino forty fives, and she had uh, <laughs> she, she, she had a Drums of Passion, uh, you know, all the Tunji, all the Tunji record. My and, sister was one of his dancers. Oh wow! Eventually, yep. Wow. She became one of his dancers eventually. That's pretty cool. I know. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that until you said it. See that? That's your, that's your next book. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's great. 
Um, yes, I mean, you know, it was the same thing, and it was the same, you know, it was the same activist, you know. They wanted, mm-hmm. to, they wanted to be, act, you know, they wanted to keep, um, uh, you know, current. They, they, you know, my, my uh, you know, my background was, um, you know, my mother would wake me up, you know, there's a, there's a march in Greenwich Village. There's a, uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, there's a thing for, uh, you know, uh, Vietnam. There's a thing for uh, social sure. justice, that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And they would, you know, they would send me out to do it, you know, they would, you know. <laughs> Not that they would go out, but I would have to go. <laughs> was, oh, that's even better. Yeah, it was even better. I got, I, got, I, got to, I got to miss school and eat some great food off the trucks, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, yeah. So um, it, was pretty, it, it was pretty cool, but, you know, it kind of uh, set me up for life because, um, it is. Yep. you know, you know I, 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 do, I did that to my kids and to my grandkids. They, they all know mm-hmm. that, um, you, know, you, know, social, you know, you have to be socially involved to, to get anywhere now. Um, Certainly. Yeah, so let's let's mean you take a quick break. I'm going to play Wilson Pickett's "Hey Jude." Tell us a little bit about this before I kick into it. Ooh, ooh! This is one of the many sessions that um, I had done with um, Dwayne. It wasn't my first Wilson Pickett session. Um, I'd done a Wilson Pickett session when somebody didn't show up in the recording studio in New York. Okay, um, and I, that was my first introduction to working with Wilson Pickett then. And a record I made with him in New York was called Deborah. It was released in um, sure. Italy. Uh-huh. Um, so um, this was what I did with Dwayne. We were down there doing the whole album, and um, I think Dwayne suggested this because Dwayne was very, um, uh, I would say, engaging. Yeah. So um, he got Wilson's ear, and um, that's what the tunes we did, and uh, came out great. Yep. Came out great. I loved. I mean, I loved the tune. The great thing about playing in the studio. My thing was what attracted me to the studio was originally Richard, my friend Richard Dubin um, from the um, All City, All Brooks Junior High School Orchestra, and later the Mixed Birds, uh-huh. um, told me about studio work and how it, it took place and who was being called. He knew cats like George DeVivier and Clark Terry and Ernie Rowe and Snooky mm-hmm. Young. Wow. He's a trumpet player, so he was like, you know, he, and he looked older than he was, so he could get into all these clubs and... Um, sure get in and become friends with all these great musicians. So he told me about the whole studio scene. So um, that's why I was, that was my, I set my sights on doing that. So working with Dwayne in the studio is the idea was, I never knew I was going to record. That was the great idea about the studio work. You never know who you're going to play with, what you're going to play. You just have to show up on time. Right. Okay. You okay. Know? Cool. So here we go. This is Hey Jude from uh, Mr. Wilson Wicked Pickett. And, um, We'll, we'll, we'll be back on the other side of this one, about four minutes. All, all right. Okay, here we go. Hey, Jude, don't make it bad. Take a sad song and make it better. Remember to let her in your heart. Yeah. 
Don't let me down You found her Now go on out and get her But remember To let her in your heart Then you can start To make it better So let it out and let it in Hey you begin Okay, my friends, and that was Hey Jude, Wilson Pickett, and um, our guest, Jerry Jamat, uh, on bass on that one. And uh, that happened to have been um, Eric Clapton's favorite guitar solo, I believe. I remember reading that somewhere, that he, the first time he heard it, he actually pulled his car mm. over to the side of the road so he could listen to it. <laughs> and um, he found out who did it, and he did some research, and... Um, you know, the the end of that story is that Dwayne Allman played on um, Layla. You know, he played all mm-hmm. this, you know, he, he, he played on those albums. And I actually, yep. I interviewed Bobby uh, Whitlock um, a, a while back. And Bobby, of course, was one of the dominoes. And he was mm-hmm. the first uh, um, Caucasian to have a deal with Stax Records. Okay. And, yeah, yeah. And he said that... Um, it was, uh, you know, it was incredible working with Dwayne, and he was just su- such a uh, great, great uh, musician. And whoever you spoke to kind of said that. Now, you go back to the beginning of the Allman Brothers. Yes, indeed. Yeah. And we were, um, I think it could have been after that session with Wilson Pickett. It's very in close in time. Yeah. It was 1969, and we have both been 
making records together since 1967 with Ken Curtis. Right. And we both had, uh, you know, it's, you know, in the music business, you get an idea of what's going on, and you realize that you're not getting your just due. And um, we were kind of pissed off about it. And I said, listen, man, I'm going to stop making doing these sessions, these hunt and find, seek and, <laughs> seek and find sessions where they pick your brain and you get paid for being a musician as opposed to being an arranger or producer. Right. which was happening in Muscle Shows, but they were paying us well. And we were also sick of the fact that the guys, local guys down there weren't getting paid well. So that social activist thing that we both had, and yeah. we were kind of pissed off about being working in that environment. And so I said, man, listen, I'm going back home. I'm just going to do commercials and jingles. Because uh-huh. the same thing was happening in New York also, right. Uh, right. but not to that extent. And he said, he said yeah, I'm going to go home and start to bail on my brother. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> so, <laughs> that was it. Wow. We left it. We, this was at the Atlanta airport. The muscles, the muscle shows in um, Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, yeah. And we parted then, and we didn't see each other again until we did an album with Herbie Mann. And in between that time, I leaving the airport and muscle shows and the Herbie Mann session, um, he started the band with his brothers. Wow. And then shortly after that, 1971, he was, um, I'm riding in, in Atlanta, Georgia, going to a gig with Roberta Flack, and we hear on the radio that Wayne Armand just hit a tree. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was dead on the scene. Yep, it was a short, short, short career he had. Yes, it was. But um, we made some good music. Yeah, yeah, wow. Between 67 and 71, 72, uh-huh. no, 71, 71. Um, we did a lot of stuff in those four years. Wow. Yeah, I spent I spent six months in Huntsville. Oh, so you know? I know Huntsville. Yeah, I I, um, okay. I opened up a uh, you know I, I used I used to manage stadiums and arenas. That's what I did from you know for, mm-hmm. for my grown up uh, time, and, <laughs> and I opened up an account in you know in that area in Huntsville. And um, yeah, what is what, that was really really um, um you know this was ten years ago. And the was, downtowner. Yeah, and it was still. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know what? It, 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 it was still racially uh, repressive, you know. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm not surprised. Yeah, yeah, it was, and you know, uh, you know, I, I told you I, I'm Jewish, and uh, it wasn't easy being Jewish either. It was, mm-hmm. you know, um, it, it was definitely a weird place to be. I, you know, I remember. I mean, you're from New York. I'm from New York, and um, the first night I'm there, I see everybody sitting at a you know, I went to like a plate. I went out to dinner, and I see everybody sitting around tables, holding hands and praying. You never saw that in New York, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, down south, that was the norm. It was, you know, you you would, you know, you were in Jesus country. And yeah. So yeah, it was, it was really really weird, and um, it, it really took some getting used to. It was a whole different, um, um, you know, mindset. But anyway, um, let's get back to you. So. You did all these great sessions. You worked with Wilson. Uh, you worked with, um, you know, what happened after that? Where, where, where did you go? I mean, you wound up working with B.B. King. Uh, uh, well, well, that was, you know, the, the mix of, um, you know, we're doing sessions like that. It's like a looking back, it's a blur. I have to, um, fortunately, I've, I've written my memoirs, and I have pretty much of it. If I hadn't written it down five years ago, I wouldn't be, be able to talk to you now coherently. Uh-huh. <laughs> 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 
And even that question, what did happen after that? I go back to New York and do some more sessions, but I stopped taking yeah. um, those search and find sessions and did primarily um, jingles um, and selected people, certain arrangers I worked for. Um, just a regular day, you know, do five, six sessions, um, right. seven, eight, nine, ten sessions a week, you know, the, the various commercials, um, jingles, a film, records, demos. Um, that felt I was busy. Sure. I was busy until yeah. I went on the, um, year after year until I got a call from Ken Curtis to basically go on the road with, um, him and Aretha. Wow. Um, he got, I got the call in 70 to do that. And it was, yeah. was going to start in 71. Right. Um, and that's what, you know, basically changed the flow of my life from here at that particular point, because after we did the tour, came back um he got, was killed in august yes yes uh Dwayne left in october right the same year right um so was it november the next month yeah the next month so um at that point um it was just basically this holding on this uh, gr- grieving and still working basically and then i had a bad accident uh, once again you know and near fatal and I that basically took me off the map for the next fifty years, wow. basically. Wow. I had to fight back during those fifty years though, because um, I put the base down, I took it up in seventy five, seventy six, somewhere along there, and I started teaching then. Okay. So that's been um, that's what I've been doing ever since then. But you know, your life is uh, marked by you have know, markers in the road where certain things happen that define what's going to happen next. And you never know what the next what that next marker is going to be. Sure. Um, but I was fortunate to have a good five years of productivity, almost ten years. So if you go back to sixty-five, um, my math is not that good. Let me see. That's only seven to seven years. Uh-huh. Um, but um, I was fortunate to make a lot of good music during that time. Oh, you definitely did. Um, now, when <clears throat> you, when you were with King Curtis, you recorded that um, iconic album live at the Fillmore West. That was the, that was the tour I was referring to in '71. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep, yep, yep. And um, did you do any other recording with King Curtis, or was was it just live that you did? Well, prior to that, we did um, we did. But prior to that, what did we do? We did Instant Groove, uh-huh. which we got a uh, nominated for a Grammy for. Yes. We did games games people played up as on that album. In fact, Wayne's on that album. Right. Um. And then we did the live album. Then we did, oh, Everybody's Talking. We did that with Ken Curtis. Uh-huh. And then Ken Curtis produced a bunch of records with Freddie King. I'm on those and some other stuff I probably forget. Um, but now, we had a great um, great rapport. Okay, now, um, did you do The Wait with King Curtis? I did The Wait with, with Aretha. Right, you didn't do it with King Curtis. Um, if we did it... Um, it was when did we hear what recording did you hear? We, I might have done it, and forgotten about it. Yeah, well, he did it with Dwayne Allman, with Dwayne on guitar. I don't know. I thought you were included on that too. I mean, I probably, I might be. I'm much. I don't remember. Yeah, yeah I don't yeah. remember us doing it. We do. We did a lot of stuff. I have to look at. Um, I don't. Remember, I remember doing it with Aretha. Okay. And not necessarily uh, with King Curtis. Okay. Okay, great. Um. So you. Uh, um. What, what happened? Why, why were you out of uh, play music? I don't know if you want to talk about that. If you want, if you don't. Well, 
after the, yeah, after the near fatal car accident. Oh, it's a car accident. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that was it. Yeah. I mean, I was you know, if I thought I was if I thought my screws were loose before then. Yeah. I knew, I knew my screws were loose before that time. <laughs> it was wasn't but no doubt. You know, I was sure. treading on thin ice all my life. So it's like you know, yeah. That just like that is the 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 anchor that has really pulled me down. I had to come back up. In fact, Richard Davis was the one who got me to. Um, I confided with him. I said, "Look, you know, how can I get better?" Yeah. He said, "Teach." Right. And I said, oh, "Okay, I I can dig that." Wow. And I got into it, and um. As predicted, I would learn more than my students every time, and I still do. Right. Um, that's that's the um, cycle of learning that happens when you teach someone, and you have to come out from yourself to show them. You have to dig deep, mm-hmm. and, and ultimately, you learn more than the student at that. You know when that happens. Right. Now I, I know so many great musicians teaching now. It it really became a great uh, outlet for uh, musicians, who um you know had to um. You know, maybe just keep creative and not not going into a studio, not doing recordings, but just keep their uh, um, musical chops intact. They, they, a lot of <laughs> a lot of great guys got into teaching. You know, I know. Yeah. You know, Lenny White's a teacher. Lenny, you know, the drummer. Yeah, but he's been teaching. Yeah. I mean, like they they used to say, if you can't if you can't play, teach. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you I know, know that, that used to be the. <laughs> That used to be the like the yeah. the, the demonization of teaching, yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those but in reality, yeah. all the great musicians like Dizzy, yeah. they were constantly teaching. Yeah, you had yeah, to yeah, teach yeah. people had to play with you. Yep. It wasn't about just come on and play. You had to teach and you know tell sure. them how why this chord works with this chord and blah blah blah. Because bebop is a whole different thing. Oh yeah, it's totally complicated. So you had to be a teacher to understand what was going on and how people play with you. Oh, yeah, definitely. And it can be taught. Yep. You know, it can be taught. Anything can be taught. Oh, yeah. Now, how well it's in, how well it's learned and how well it's performed is a different thing. <laughs> you yeah. know, you can study stuff, you can learn it, you can practice it, you know, and you can, you know, performing it is the fourth, you know, the fourth, I saw the fourth pillar. You have four pillars of study, learning, practice and performance okay and these things you know have, they come in hand in hand you can't do either you can't get satisfaction unless you can uh, come it equates down to a production or a performance right. at the end you have to produce something a product okay now a good so fr- all, a good friend of both of ours introduced us uh, john altman right oh man john yeah yes now, how did you meet john um man you know sonny I moved to California. I was planning on moving to California. Bill Henderson. Um, yeah. He sang Sing Your Blues. Is that, is, that, is that right? Yes. Okay. I was after doing the Long Beach Jazz Fest. I was doing something in California with Greg. I was working with Greg, Greg Allman. Okay. We were out here at the Long Beach Jazz Festival, and I knew I was miss, moving to Mississippi at the time right and i was meeting this meeting some people i met my future drummer well on the tour out there um Demar martin okay and then i met um, the dj local dj and his lady and um she gave me a gig with um to do the bill henderson tribute um i was coming back out there and anyway i came out here and this gig was waiting for me basically on august on april 17th that's the only thing I had going for me in California. Okay. okay? Yeah, well. So <laughs> that day was on my calendar. 
And that was one of the, and I've been here eight years. And that's probably one of the five gigs I've had since I've been here in the city of Los Angeles. Oh, wow. So that's how I met John. They, um, they called my name out um, as being a performer. And John comes over and introduces to me as a fan of Ken Curtis. And that was it. Ken Curtis once again. Wow. <laughs> you know, wow. That's how I met. That's how I met John. We've been buddies ever since. Yeah, he's a great guy. He's incredible. Oh man, great guy, great performer. We we went to a jam session the next couple of nights, and yeah. um, I got my I got my band together starting with John. He was my first kingpin band out here, with him and Mike Finnegan, um, guitar shorty, oh, wow. um, Steve Steve um, Steve Falone, and David Garfield. Wow! 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 And, so we went in the studio and they um they followed me to the studio. We did a couple of sides and they couldn't I couldn't put it out at the time. I couldn't promote it like I wanted to at the time. So it's just there. It's in the it's in the um it's on the web. Okay. It's accessible. It's accessible. Wow. What, 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 so that's how I met that's how I met John. And yeah. so it's uh it's he's incredible, man. Yeah, John's a great guy. He's just and he's so humble. Oh, incredibly humble. Yeah. He, he um you know the guy worked with. You know the guy's knows everybody. He's. Yeah, I know. You know he has an out. You know that that wall of his that he sits in front of with nine thousand gold and platinum albums. Right, I see. Right. Uh, <laughs> I'm always. I always said to him. What, I always say to him. What do you do for a living? Put out these albums. Just you know, make a gold album and sell it to people. You know. You know. Um. Yeah, he's just he was, just what what an incredible talent, and he's so darn humble about it. He really is. I mean, he carries that saxophone with him all the time. That little as a soprano. Yeah, the little baby. Oh man, we have so much fun. Yeah, 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 and he's good. He's he's good. Oh, he's great, man. He's playing on um my album, uh, the Kingpins. Uh huh. Um, and he's playing. He doubled the Barry. He plays baritone also and soprano. Yeah. Well, just like my guy Roger Rosenberg back in New York, he played baritone and soprano, and with the combination of the Barry and soprano, when you track them together, yeah, the sound is like oh, it's, it's kind of Ellingtonian, kind of Ellingtonian, yeah, yeah, in a sense, really rich, well, really rich. Um, so I've used that sound um, since I recorded with Roger back in the in the um, late seventies. Um, Roger Rosenberg, he was my horn player, okay, and he played soprano, baritone, and flute. And we just carried on, man. We had such a great time during those years, and I played all original music. Wow! So that was um, that was a good time. This is when I coming back into music. I said, "Well, hey, man, with my screws being loose, I'm nobody's going to hire me. I'm going to start my own band. <laughs> nobody's going <laughs> to hire me anyway." <laughs> so, so that's what promoted prompted all that. It could, it, it could have been worse. You could have tried getting into into major league baseball. <laughs> right. no, no. I'm not gonna get hit. But I'm not getting hit by no pitcher. I know, I know, but, <laughs> no. but yeah, but, 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 but for the same thing of not getting hired, you could have become a ball player. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, no, I was stuck, stuck with the music. Yeah, yeah. Let's take another break. Let's listen to the weight, and you're playing bass on this one with Aretha Franklin, and um, man, she had some killer bands, huh? Oh man, always people, great men, great musicians gravitate to great singers. I mean, it has to be that way. You can't have a bad bass player or a bad band, right? Right, you really can't. And um, but man, she had the greatest, huh? She had the best. Yeah. See, Tommy Cogbill preceded me. Yeah. Tommy was one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah, wow. 
So, okay, this one's the wait. We'll be back in about three minutes, everybody. And we'll be back with Jerry Jamat. So I hope you're enjoying the show, and uh, we'll be with you in a bit. back aretha franklin the wait with um the great jerry jamat on um bass on that one and um so who else was on that with you who else played on that cut um that was that in new york um Dwayne, me roger schooner uh-huh. um that was it well wow. that was and aretha aretha of course yeah of course yeah um, I spoke to Spooner. I speak to Spooner more than anybody else. It seems we're the only ones that are, are left from those days. Yeah. And um, it's he. Um, his memory is pretty sharp. Okay. He made all of her records. That's not all of her records. Um, sure. And um, and it was Tom Dowd involved? Uh, was involved in this too? Right? Oh yeah, Tommy was there. Tom was. I mean, Tom yeah. and Reese. Um, Jerry was involved, uh-huh. uh, but Tom, Tommy was the one who. And the reef, they had the um, the production skills and the arranging skills, and 
I mean, what the what a reef that was just incredible with the music. How he extrapolate the parts yeah. that we create in rhythm section and then blow them up into horn parts and string parts. Most, most great arrangers do that. Bert Decatur with the BB King stuff. Uh-huh. Um, Horace Art. A lot of great arrangers um, making um, making it happen. Okay. And they were smart. They yeah. called. They made the right phone calls. Um, the producer made the right phone call. Got the right arranger. Right. And so basically, they didn't have much to do this do, to do but to um, listen to the rhythm section and then write the parts based upon the rhythm sections. Yeah. And uh, came they, out great. Yeah, yeah. Well, what a rhythm section they had. You know? Yeah, well, they had a, and they had a choice of rhythm sections. Now, I mean, they had you know people like Gary Chester, Ed Shaughnessy, right. um, Bernard Purdy, Herb Lavelle, yeah. Jimmy Johnson, um, all realms of um, Steve Gadd, Christopher Parker. I mean, there's tons of um, um, great drummers, young coming coming up. Um, what's Buddy Buddy Williams? I can think of. Yeah. Um, these guys were just uh, we were just full of great talent right, uh, right. coming from the from the five boroughs basically yeah now we discussed this um, I think last time or maybe one of our uh, private phone calls but um, you know I used to uh, run into Eric Gale a lot Eric, Eric oh yeah you know, you know he um, I told you we I was working with a band and we had the managed excuse me our management team uh, managed Eric and mm-hmm. uh, you know he, he was he always part of management, and um, Cameo was one of the clients, and uh, Michael mm-hmm. Shreve, Michael Shreve's pop band at the time, and Eric Gale. They they were the three big clients coming out of that, and um, there was some killer players back then. They were just monstrous yeah. players. Um, you know, you had that whole stuff uh, community. Uh, you know, Steve um, Steve Gad was their drummer. And Christopher Parker. Yeah, yeah Chris Parker. Chris Parker. Uh, wasn't Purdy in that band for a bit? He no. Look, well, he might have done some subs, but basically yeah. when they... At first, Gordon... See, Gordon Edwards yep, started Gordon, that whole thing. Yep, yep, those Gordons, yep. Gordon is a great leader. Yep. This cat, you know, you know, having a band and being a musician, you can have talent, but leadership is important. Yeah. And Gordon was a galvanizing um, character. He was engaging. He was into... He was, if you need something, call Gordon. Yeah. Paul G. He'll get it for you, no matter what it is. Yeah, yeah. You want to book a horse in the, in the fifth at, at uh, Aqueduct or Belmont? Call Gordon. <laughs> I think I think I did once. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, I, Eric and but I, Eric was a great player, but man, he was a tough guy. To, you know, he was he, he was a tough guy to deal with. He, he, uh, he well, knew, he was, you know, he knew he, he was good. Yeah, he knew he was he, good. Yeah, he knew he was great. Yeah, you know, and him and, and Cor- him and Cornell together. Yeah, Cornell. Sometimes it was hard to tell them apart. Sometimes you had to really listen closely. Yeah, and of course, what glued and held them together and kept them. Um, um, oh man, I just had a moment. The rhythm guitar player. I'm feel bad. Oh, Cornell. Okay. No, no, no. The rhythm guitar. He played exclusive, uh, exclusively. Rhythm. It'll come back. It'll come back to me. Okay. It'll come back. I'll have to look at my. I have to look at one of my books before I come back before um, at some point. But um, Carl Lynch. Okay. Carl Lynch. He held it together. They have three guitar players at those days. They have Carl, Eric, and Cornell, or Vincent Bell, or David Spinoza, yeah. or some other realm of this Stuart Sharp. There was so much a realm of great guitar players running around the base. The guitar section of three. Sometimes four guitars. Yeah, yeah, and, then uh, they, and, and, and they had the great Richard T in that band. 
Gretchen T would be in the building on the keyboards. Usually yeah. have a, uh, an organ. He'd be playing yeah. keyboards or even organ. Yeah. Paul Griffin. Yeah. Um, so many cats, man. George Butcher. Um, it's, um, I got. I'd have to look at my, my one of my books where I like sure. went through a, a memory thing where I just listed everybody yeah. who was available. And uh, read. If you get my book, there's music in everyone. Yeah. At one point, there's a section where I go through the there's a um, acknowledgement page where I just like call out the world. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like good. those cats are in there. Yeah, but um, they really were my section mates. These guys I ended up playing where I played before on a regular basis. Um, I never know when I, who I would see or when I'd see them. Sometimes maybe months before we see each other. Right. Uh, you know, sometimes there'll be a year between seeing somebody. But um, we were tight when we got together with the music. It all came together like we played together as one. Uh huh. Well, yeah. I mean, well, you guys all. Um, I guess you did so many sessions together that you were like one. You know. Yeah, we did that. The music, the charts, the arrangements, the you know, the people who called the right, you know, um, the mix of musicians to come yeah. together. Sometimes it was music. Most of the times there was music. Um, sometimes it'd be like a sketch, a chord chart, basically. And sometimes I've had demo sessions where it'd be no music. Yeah. You know, so it's like it's, it's a realm of things where you have to be, you know, um, agreeable to go under those circumstances. Right, right, right. And those guys, yeah, those guys, you know, they worked with Aretha, they worked with Donnie Hathaway, they worked with um, um, Joe Cocker. I mean, they worked with mm-hmm. you know King Curtis. They worked with everybody: Roland Kirk, Van McCoy. These guys, mm-hmm. um, you know, Lou Rawls. They, these guys backed up the best. And, they sure did. Yeah, yeah, they were the best. Yeah, they were. They were incredible. They were incredible, and they had a lot of offshoots. The Gad Gang came from that, you know, group. Mm-hmm. And, you know, yeah. They were just Gordon was a yeah. He was a wonderful um, leader. He got them, you know, opened opened the door for a lot of people. Yeah, wow. So, um, you were involved with some greats yourself. You did some work with. Um, uh, uh-huh. you, you worked on the uh, um, the revolution will, will not be televised. Uh, you, you, you know, you uh, um, you know, just you, you found yourself with just some of the greatest records out there, and. I mean, you must feel really, really, you know, um, you know, your career just took off, and you just, you know, you 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 became the groove master. <laughs> yeah, you you find yourself. Music finds you, and you know, they, I get booked for a session. In fact, um, interesting story. Um, I did an album with um, on Robert Johnson's music. Okay. And I got the producers called me because they didn't know me, but they got a recommendation from, oh, man, I'm terrible with remembering this particular person. I had to find out um, who he was. But he didn't know me. I think his name was Robert Moore. Okay. Um, he was um, one of the early hip-hop producers, but he referred me to uh, make this blues album uh-huh. <laughs> of Robert Johnson's music. Um, so you never know where it's coming from. There's somebody I never met. Somebody's probably heard me record. I was recommended to do this Robert Johnson project. Uh-huh. It came out great. Now, um, now I, I, I'm talking to guys like you and talking to guys like John John Altman, who um, didn't base their uh, musical career on touring or on bands or, or on trying to get their next hit record, but got into the studio, got into arranging, got into doing session work. Um, mm-hmm. I think you guys had the longevity in the business. I think that was probably the smarter thing to do. 
Do you ever feel like you were lucky to have chosen that path? Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, the whole thing of being a gunslinger really appealed to me. And Dwayne. Funny, yeah. we had that same gunslinger mentality. Yeah. You know, we're going to come in and save the day, you know. Right, 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 right. <laughs> In fact, it did happen where that was exactly that. When I met Aretha, it was exactly just that. Um, because um, I was called to the session to actually observe the session. Uh, but Jerry Wexler felt that something. They had, if you look at the album, Aretha Now, they have two tracks that cuts that were done like in January of that year. I forget what songs they are. Um, but apparently they tried to do that song maybe then, and they couldn't do it. Uh-huh. And between that and between that and March 15th, um, um, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Right. And um, I got the call about, I guess at the end of March, the session, the session went on regardless, um, despite of um, Aretha suffering the loss of losing a friend. Right. And someone she had been working with closely during that time, with, um, performing with him on his um, tour. Um, so it went on anyway, and I get to the studio to observe the session, and they were in the studio already working it out with Tommy Cogbill and Spooner and Jimmy Johnson and, and uh, Jimmy John um, Jimmy Johnson and um, I guess I named everybody, uh-huh. and they were on this one song um, playing it at ten o'clock. 11 o'clock, right. 12 o'clock. They're still playing the same song. And usually when you get a song like in the studio, the, the, the fact that like 20, 15 minutes, maybe three or four takes, you know, you, you pass the next, go on to the next song. But they were determined to get this one song, and I realized that's probably why I was there. Uh-huh. At that particular point, it dawned on me yeah. that he had I'd have to do something that they weren't doing that he felt that I could, only I could do. Right. So um, at 2 o'clock, he said, Jerry, go in there and see what you can do. And um, that was after the lunch break. And two, set, two, three takes later, we had recorded Think. Yeah, right. Based upon my input that I had brought in with the introduction and the segues, all the things I've been hearing since 10 o'clock that morning that they weren't doing, um, it just happened when I came in. So um, that's how we met. And we became friends from that point on. Wow. In fact, she tried to hire me that day. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but I had, you know, I might have my, my sight set on being a studio cat. Uh huh. Cool. Well, let's and take, that was, let's yeah. let, let's let's take a quick break and play. Think it's a great great tune. Okay. Here we go. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours.
walking around every day playing games and facing scores. Trying to make other people lose their mind. Well, I'll be careful when you don't lose yours. Breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. All right. Okay, <laughs> and we're back. I'm just, I'm just going to talk to uh, Jerry real quick. Yeah, Jerry, when this is all over, um, uh, I'll, I'll edit it. I'll clean it up. It goes to the podcast site, and I'll send you a copy unedited, edited, however you want it. Um, okay. And you can put it up on your site. Or, you, know, you can put a link up to mine, whatever is easier for you. Wonderful. Plus, um, yeah, you could tell your wife, just um, go to um, her uh, Echo, you know, the Alexa, and uh, mm-hmm. just say, Alexa, play TTT Radio Network. All right. So it's pretty easy to find us. And, um, yeah, I mean, this Internet stuff gets confusing, but here we are. It's a whole new day. And um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you're familiar with um, Lee Abrams. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to be speaking to Lee this week. I actually spoke to him last week as well. Lee's the guy who started Sirius uh, XM Radio. 
Oh. And he also mm. started on the um, album-orientated rock radio. He's very, very big in, in, in the radio. Money now is on internet radio. That, um, mm. You know, so I don't know. long talks of radios than what it once was, or if it'll ever be like that. And uh, they say the smart money now is on internet radio. That, um, mm. You know, so I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, you're finding out. Well, yeah, I'm finding out. I made twenty dollars last month. Oh, wait, 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 Hey. Hey, hold on. I'm going to hook you up. Uh, Jerry, can you hear me? Jer? Jerry, Jerry, Jerry. I'm here. Okay, Michael, are you here? I'm here. Okay, Jerry, I'd like to introduce you to Michael. Michael's a big um, uh, fan, he, uh, especially of the Allman Brothers. He's a he's a oh, cool. guitarist. And um, he has some questions um, about uh, what you heard about the formation of the Allman Brothers when they started. I heard about them? Oh, I know about them. Yeah, that's what I mean. I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's his, his, his history at this particular point. Um, I'll tell you briefly what um, I know from what I just told you about Dwayne and I at the airport that he was going to start a band with his brother, but in actuality, that was not his first band with his brother. Yeah. Um, they had a band. They had the um, band called the Almond Joys. Right. And preceding that, they uh, they were introduced to the blues by Fred My- Floyd Miles. Um, that's a whole story in itself. I met Floyd when I joined Greg's band in, in 2006. But um, yeah, this started in '69, and uh, they had that was the second or, or third incarnation of. Um, they're, they're, you know, making music together, basically. Right. But they were making music with Floyd since the age of 14 and 16, I think, but they began with Floyd. Wow. Um, so um, they had a few years under their belt. And um, when, um, after, when, I know what happened for sure. After um, the airport discussion with Dwayne, um, Greg picks up the story and tells me he got a call from Dwayne, and he told him to come back east because he has this real great bass play with these long fingers and we're going to start the band up again um so (laughs) that's why greg came east (laughs) from california and then when he got here he said where's the bass play with the long fingers and so Dwayne says oh he's up in new york making commercials he can't he doesn't have time to mess with us (laughs) (laughs) so you're the the man with the long fingers so so yeah (laughs) so did you you also toured with greg right yeah in 2006 and 2013 right wow and um i i just i've been a fan of theirs since like the age of 11 when i was that was like 1970. Okay. I was, I was turned on to the music by my cousin, actually. And it's been a forever love affair since. So, oh, wonderful. Well, yeah, they. Michael, they, you. I was at the, I'm sorry, Michael. Yeah, no, you would know um, Eric Clapton's uh, favorite uh, um, guitar solo is what? It's, it's Hey Jude. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's it's, mm. it's one of the reasons he wanted to meet uh, Dwayne in the first place. Mm-hmm. I heard that. Yeah, and, uh, and Jerry, uh, Jerry's the know, bass player on that. Pretty awesome. Gotta yeah. Tell you, yeah. Yep. That's yeah. Some awesome tracks. He just wanted to wait with a reaper. That was another. You know, yeah. Jerry also played on BB uh, King. The thrill is gone. Wow. And um, incredible. Um, and uh, uh, Gil Scott Heron, uh, the revolution will not be televised. Wow. This man, and don't forget why I sing the blues. Yeah. Well, yeah, why I sing the blues. Yeah. <laughs> also, you yeah. wait, wait, Jerry, you also worked on Carly's first album. Yeah. Carly mm-hmm. Simon, yep. This is the way marriage should be. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, you know, her, uh, those first two albums were just spectacular by Carly Simon. I, I just went back, I started listening to, you know, those back catalogs, which I, I have on um, Elliot, the, the Mobile Fidelity Super Audio CD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, they are absolutely spectacular, those first two records. Yeah. Those times are such, such great times to make music. Um, that you're talking about, you know, Elliot and I were talking about activism and protests social mm-hmm. consciousness and like oh that's that right just fit right in that slot where you have to say something i mean you're yeah. compelled as an artist to um try to elevate people's consciousness and motivate them towards a positive direction so um she was right there in the mix um with yes. all of us yes yes laura nero a yeah. lot of great yeah. love so many great singers coming out of that era you know you know music comes from you know folk music blues you know, it's always about selling a message. Yep, and uh, sending uh, a message. And 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 and, and, and all these guys kind of uh, nurtured around Greenwich Village, right, Jerry? Oh, for sure. I mean, it's always always the hot spot. I mean, since yeah. I was a kid. I mean, you guys, was, um, you guys had Richie Havens there. You had uh, John Sebastian. <clears throat> you had uh, you know David Blue. You had incredible people back then, just walking mm-hmm. streets and. Um, yeah. Wow. With Sonny Rose and, and with Charles Mingus and Eric Dolphy and all the jazz cats, you know. Yeah, yeah. This is a haven for all any kind of music. Yep. Um, great. The Village. So what was your first bass, what, your first electric bass? What kind, of, a, what kind oh. of equipment did you use? Oh, electric? Yeah. Oh, I had um, everybody's I laugh when I tell them this. A Zimgar. Zimgar? <laughs> a Zimgar. <laughs> it was... It was the cheapest one I could find in a pawn shop. I wasn't going to put much time into this. I, <laughs> I, I hated the sound of electric bass. Yeah. But I did it because I wanted to play for people. Sure. For that reason. I wanted to play, uh, I wanted to be in a band where people were being acknowledged and not being treated like they didn't matter. Right. Like the band I had been playing with at that particular time, they were younger guys and they didn't care what the, what the audience wanted to hear. They wanted to be like Miles Davis and play this stuff and yeah. turn it back to the audience, emulating Miles, you know, basically. But they couldn't; they didn't play that well anyway. Yeah. Well. So I decided to pick up an electric bass, and I couldn't stand the sound of it. Yeah. But I, anyway, I did it just as you know, as desperation. I wanted to keep. I wanted to play, and I just give it a shot because I was just so shocked at the um, the demeanor, the situation at the time, and I just I took a shot. Yeah, wow. I gave it a shot. It wasn't that easy either. No. I thought it'd be easy. It wasn't. Um, but I it, I persevered. I got through it. Yeah. Um. You know You know Harvey Brooks? 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, Harvey told me a story that um, he was one of the first electric bass players to work with Miles. Mm-hmm. On, you know, on Bitches Brew. And he said he walked mm-hmm. in, he walked in, and uh, Miles, you know, Harvey was a big guy. And and, and he walked yeah. in, and Miles says to him, Are you fat, or can you really play that thing? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Miles. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, and so, you know, he said they became good friends. He said, but that's how Miles broke the ice. Uh, you just feel yeah. you can play that thing. <laughs> yeah, like, you know. Yeah. It's, it's funny. That reminds me of the story that um, in his current bass, no, uh, his current, the Rolling Stones bass player. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? Mike, who's who's a, who's playing bass for the Stones now? What's his name? The kid. Uh, he's, uh, Bernard, is it Bernard Fowler? No, not Bernie. Bernie's oh, a singer. Daryl Jones. Huh? Daryl Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Daryl Jones. Daryl Jones. Daryl Jones, yeah. Daryl Jones. Yeah. He started with, he started with Miles, and um, yeah. he got the, um, he was friends with Miles' nephew. Um, I mean, he's going to have to give his name. Um, John knows. In fact, John introduced me to um, his nephew. Okay. Um, anyway, um, and he got there. I can do that. And one year, one day, he gets a call from Miles saying, um, "Let me hear you play." So he had to run around. Couldn't even find his bass because he had put it up. He was so far above these local musicians. He decided he wasn't going to play with them anymore. <laughs> gigs, you know, make some money. And he couldn't find his bass when Miles called him. Wow. And so he finally tells us, "I can't find the bass." He says, "Well, listen, I've I've heard you play. Um, come here. To, um, I need you in New York." When can you get here? And so um, uh, Daryl says, um, apparently this was Sunday night. He says, um, I can get there by Friday. And Miles says, what you going to do, walk? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well. So needless to say, Daryl show up in, in New York the next day at, Bur- at the, um, the um, place in the village on 8th Street. The Blue Note. Blue Note, yeah. And that was his first gig with him, Miles. Wow. So. <laughs> Incredible. That's stuff. how it happens, man. It that's that's how, how it happens. happens. It is how you it happens. You get the call. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he saw himself doing it a year before. So I can do that. Yeah. And then he gets the call. Just yeah. like I heard after coming out getting hit. I said, oh, I can do that. Yeah. I was, you know, just when you get that revelation that you can do something and you go for it. Yeah. So um, when you played uh, alive with, um, with the brothers... In two thousand and nine, um, I guess uh, what what do you think of the new guys that they were added to the band? The guys like uh, um, you know, uh, um, well, who was in Derek? The, yeah, well, Derek. Yeah, there, you know, this basically was Derek and um, Warren Haynes yeah, and, that I knew, and of course, I loved O'Teal. I met them the year before, right? And so I knew the I knew the band. Uh, we had hung out before that, I can, and. Um, Oh, that was 2009, wasn't it? Yes. Oh, I met them in two, before that. So it was the same band, basically, right. um, that I had met um, in 2005. Okay. Thanks, thanks to Jack Devaney. Uh-huh. Brother John, he's now um, the, 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 the host of Catholic Radio on Sirius FM. Oh. He's the one who got me involved with the Allman Brothers, actually, in 2005. Okay. So my hats go out to my brother Jack, Father John now. Yeah, did you did, did you uh, did you deal with Johnny Podell? 
Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> 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 yeah. Boy, that's a blast from the past. Yeah, I had to deal with Johnny. Yeah, Johnny's a lot Everything of fun. Everything was cool. Johnny's a lot of fun. We had fun. Yeah. With a little dog. Yeah, Johnny's fun. He um Johnny and his little dog. Yeah. Was one of the DJs at the um inauguration for uh, Biden. Okay. Yeah, and one of the nice. TV, yeah, I forgot the guy's name. He's a big DJ now. Um yeah, I knew Johnny um <laughs> do, do you remember Keith Kevin? Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a big span there. But yeah, I speak to Johnny every now and then. He, I, I knew Johnny. Um, <laughs> do, do you remember Keith Kevin? Uh, not really my face. Uh, Johnny, Johnny sticks out like this. I can see him with the little dog right now. Yeah, yeah. Johnny was crazy. He was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he sure so, was. Yeah. So he, he also uh, Johnny also managed the Lou Reed. And uh, I forgot who else he, he um, was working with, but yeah, he did a lot of work. Is Johnny still with us? Yeah, Johnny's still with us, more or less. Okay, cool. More or less. <laughs> <laughs> as much as he can be. Yeah, no, actually, uh, yeah, yeah, actually, Johnny became very spiritual uh, lately. Ah, uh, so, cool. That's yeah, yeah, nice. So he's doing good. Johnny's doing okay. And um, in fact, I have to give him a call next week. We're going to get up. We're going to get another podcast thing going. Yeah, Johnny's give him a hey hey from me. I will. Johnny's a good man. Um, so, um, if somebody wanted to order your book and stuff now, where do they go? Oh, uh, which my music books actually is to go on my my shop jerryjamat dot com. You can uh-huh. go into shop now, and if you uh, can't afford the books, you can go into the events section, and you can get it for free. Yeah. Well. It's, that's so you have a choice, and and, and <laughs> but yeah. you're, you're going to get it either way. Even pay for it, or you get it for free. Yeah. I want you to have it. Now, 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 okay. Now, now, <laughs> you, you you have a whole new system of teaching based on color. Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah, um, I do. It's been, in fact, the product of a drummer. Uh-huh. Talking about drummers, um, Herb Lavelle and Laura Nero. Uh-huh. Laura Nero. Uh, we work with her, and then. I wrote a book in 99, my first book, as uh, my lifesaver. Once again, um, I thought the end was near, so I thought I should put my thoughts down on paper. Um, in 92, I started writing it. In 93, I finished it. In 94, I've got it published. And then in 99, I went to visit my friend Herb Lavelle, and I showed him the book, and he said, wow, this is great. Can you use your system to teach music using colors? I said, colors? He said, yeah, like Laura used to tell us. You know, can you put a little blue on this or a little pink? You know, she'd tell us that in the studio and we'd do something. And she'd say, yeah, that's enough. That's cool. Um, we record. And so I, I said, um, well, I, I guess so. You know, because I'm using numbers, a numeric system as opposed to an alpha system. Right. Where it's not A, B, C, D, E, F, G. I'm using 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. Uh-huh. And I'm using your interval names, thirds, fourths, seconds, fifths, whatever, you know, whatever it is. And, in terms of numbers. So I said, um, yeah, I guess it's conceivable. I can do that. And so that was a journey I started in 1999 with Herb. And I'm still on it. Okay. <laughs> and I just got a new um, perspective on it, a new visualization of it. And I'm hoping to um, get it out there um, to the world. In fact, um, I shared it with um, a colleague at the Musicians Institute. And his response was, um, hey, you know, we can use this to teach perfect pitch. I said, oh, really? I said, okay. Well, I thought perfect pitch had to be born with perfect pitch. Right. But apparently he sees the value in it, and my other musicians say, oh, yeah, I can see the, 
the cycle of forms here. So now we're talking musicians seeing the col- the be seeing the colors as musical terms. I say, okay, now I'm okay. I got into their ear because I didn't make it for musicians. Right. It was made for like basically for you know children. Yeah. And in terms of the therapeutic value, but I was a little curious. And most musicians are, um, don't want to go into a new system, which I could understand it um, of learning. Right. But they, that, I think, it's going to resonate to them at some point. At least it has with um, the few that I've spoken to recently. When they've seen it presented this way, it's all in the presentation where you can actually see it happening. Where before I had it laid out, they couldn't see it. Okay. Just by putting in a certain visualization, now it makes sense to them. Okay. You yeah. know, so it's um, it's cool. Yeah. I'm cool with it. Okay. I didn't think of it 22 years ago, but hey, it's all right. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I actually have a copy of your uh, music book, and I didn't get a chance. Oh, you do? Yeah, I didn't get a chance to get through the whole book yet, but um. Oh. Um, your teaching methods are a little um, unorthodox. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah, and did you do did you do it this way to make it easier for people, maybe not to be as afraid of learning music as um, you know? Uh, well, I did it as an alternative approach to music, whereas you learn to understand the language, just like you learn to understand the um, a language you speak, as opposed to reading it first. Right. This right, is right. understand what it is first, and then you read it later. Okay. With some uh, with a greater understanding of what the, what you're looking at means, as opposed to just being a robot and mimicking what's on the paper. Okay. Uh, which was my problem. How that's how I learned how to read and how to play. Right. But it didn't get me what I needed to give me the courage and confidence and conviction to go into improvisation and all the things that are necessary to be a jazz musician. Yeah. So it was always it was always um hard for me, and I couldn't hear what the you know the learning with the head injuries, so I developed a system to help myself and to help other people um, to break through that wall of understanding, because that's the key. You develop your confidence based upon the what you work, spent time with. You can reflect on the time you spent. So while you're on the court or on the ball field or on the bandstand, you can look back on those times, and you know you put your time in, and you have the confidence to proceed with your new idea that's coming that you have to somehow unwrap and package and deliver to the audience. In milliseconds of time. Okay. So, um, yeah, so it's a whole new way of looking at musical um, education. In a sense, it is. It's an alternative. It's not the only way. For some people, it might be, for me, at this point, it became the only way. Once I realized I could play something that I couldn't play in 25 years reading it, that I could play by using my system. Right. So that was became the only way for me at that particular point. Okay. And I've been teaching the system since 1982 when I came when I came across it when I kind of developed it. And a lot of it came from working with Jocko. Actually, it kind of formalized in '84, '85 when I um, started working with Jocko. It kind of ver- verified, validated that oh yeah, this is the way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. this is the way. You got to know what the hell you're doing. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's not about just moving your fingers and feeling stuff. You got to if you know, you can excel beyond your but what you you can if you know you can excel about what you, excel beyond what you know because you learn how to break the rules okay. but you know them yeah so yeah. that's where I start from right but you do the rules before oh of course you know I didn't I didn't know the rules before I started breaking them coming up when I was 11 12 right. 12 13 breaking professionally I didn't know the rules I was playing by ear and getting my you know trying to find my way and learning along the way. 
Right. Um, I couldn't tell B from B flat. Now, um, do you, do you think do you think the musicians today have a problem improvising? Well, no. Um, using my system. No, no. I'm, in, I'm in general. Saying, in general, you know, just somebody going to, uh, you know, learning their instruments now. They, you know, what I find is. Improv- improvising is the hardest thing to do on an instrument. Well, certainly, certainly. You know, it's based upon it's it's hard if you don't have the knowledge, and it's harder if you don't have the knowledge and the, the memory retention. It's based upon memory. If you can memory, you don't need to not memorize. You don't need the knowledge. Right. You just remember what your fingers are doing and what you're hearing. You can put the two together. You can do it without the knowledge, like Eddie Harris says. Music is the only profession that you could become successful in and not know what you're doing. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you can put my picture you can put my picture right next to his yeah, saying. Mine that's, too. His, that's a quote from his book. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm the poster child. There you go. One of them. One of one of the many. Yeah. Well but you know what I, I took classical uh, keyboard, you know, uh, lessons as a kid. And um, I never really learned how to play until I got rid of my teachers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and, you know, once um, I got rid of my teachers, okay, I might not be as proficient as, um, you know, uh, uh, Keith uh, of, um, you know. Technically. Uh, yeah, yeah, and like, uh, you know, like a Keith Emerson or, or whatever. But, man, I can improvise the hell out of a keyboard, you know. That's, that's you have a great memory. Well, yeah, I don't, you know? yeah, I don't know if it's me- well. I guess it is because I was young when I started. Um, once I learned my chord progressions, you know uh, what a fifth note is, what a you know what a sixth minor, you know that whole bit. Mm-hmm. Once I got that down, improvising became kind of like um, a heck of a lot easier. Yeah, exactly. And classical teachers you- don't teach you that. No, they don't. They don't, but it's based upon harmony. Everything is based upon harmony. Yeah. And melody and rhythm. Right. But you know, they yeah, teach you yeah. to you know, you teach you how to read it, but to know what it is is a different it's a different set of circumstances. In other words, you have to be able to retrieve it. The problem with improvisation is you have the knowledge and not being able to retrieve it is the is the dilemma. Right. It's like having a file cabinet, you miss file you miss file something. Yeah. Believe me, brother. You ain't gonna find it, you no, know. I know. <laughs> if you misfile it, it's not where you think it is. Yeah, um, yeah, you have yeah. the way of, you know, verifying, cross-referencing before you file it, so yeah. you can file it three different ways, right. basically. Right. Okay. To retrieve it accurately, you know. Hopefully, you don't have to go to that level, but you know, when retrieval gets dicey, you have to find another way to retrieve it or another way to play it. Yeah. You know, so it's like this. Um, it's part of the experience. That's why my learning system is, um, I have a hundred percent success rate basically oh, cool. in terms of people learning and understanding what it is they're doing. That's, um, so I'm happy with it. Yeah. Great. And, um, that, and this book is, um, it's on your website. It's, um, there's every, there's two books. There's music and everyone. And there's the book, the bass and you. Right. And they're really companions. They work, they work with both with one another with one another, whereas the, the bass is instrument specific, whereas the main book is music and everyone doesn't require an instrument at all. Okay. I'll tell you a quick they story. Both will tell you how, they uh, both will tell you how to read music at the last chapter. Yeah. I'll tell you a great story about the writing down memoirs. 
I had a friend. Okay. I had a friend who wasn't into, um, uh, you know. He, uh, okay, I'll just say it. He was a gangster, so to speak, and um, oh, okay. he thought he was dying, so he wrote mm-hmm. everything down like a memoir for his kids. And mm-hmm. his, anyway, uh, his wife got it, and he, de- and he decided not to die. <laughs> he got it. <laughs> And, and, and she read about the girlfriends and everything and divorced Ooh. him. She took him for everything mm. he had. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Whoopsie. So, yeah. I know yeah. that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So be careful with those memoirs. <laughs> well, I, my first editor was my daughter. Uh-oh. Okay, that kept and, um, Yeah. She shared it with her mother. Uh-huh. And we had a whole different version of how we met. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know, I know. I know. So uh, I, had to, I had to take that section out of the book. There you go. No problem. There's uh-huh. no problem. I, listen, it ain't about kiss and tell. I know. Ain't nothing like that. In fact, in fact, the book I'm talking about is my memoirs. I'm that guy. Yeah, yeah, And yeah, none yeah. of that, you don't find anything um, racy in it. You know, uh-huh. my mother, you know, so, so my mother raised me, my sister raised me, so it's, it's all good stuff. It's GP. Yeah, but, but it really highlights... It really highlights the fact of, um, you know, how your mental health can be affected um, by brain injuries um, and um, dealing with it and overcoming it, basically. That's basically the thread. And I'm just another one. Everybody can tell the same story that I'm telling, basically. Sure. But it happens to be, I've been fortunate to be able to survive it, um, to work with it over the years, and I hope it will be of a benefit to other people. Who might not be, um, might not know they even have them, or know somebody who has them, and um, afraid to talk about them because the biggest thing is hiding them, and then you get, become a pressure cooker, and then you explode, and you um, might pick up a gun or anything to abuse um, the people near you. Um, there's stories. I have friends who have had that encounter, so it's uh, it's kind of like a self-help book. Maybe I'm hoping it'll be of some benefit to the to people. Okay. So um, you're also doing some recordings now, right? Yeah, I'm working with um, Gregman's getting guitar shorty. Um, another um, ac- accomplishment. We're um, he's accomplished so much and inspired so many people. Yeah. That myself and James Gadsden, we're going to um, and our producer Pascal Nemet Bayer is going to. Um, we're working on a little project that we're going to um, actually going to feature all of all three of us. Um, but the emphasis is going to be on Guitar Shorty to um, bring him to put people's eye once again because um, he deserves a lot of people don't get the, the credit they deserve for what they've done. Um, so it's time, you know, it's, if I can help somebody lift somebody else up, I've always been about that. Right. So that's the uh, the next thing I'm working on. I have a offer to teach at the Musicians Institute um, to get that doing, get that going. I got to. Get my publisher publish, for my book, so it's an ongoing hustle, basically, yes. of um, keeping the, keeping it alive. Okay, and uh, Shorty's almost ninety years old, right? He we're actually twelve years apart. Okay, almost ninety. You said yes, that's right. Almost ninety. Yeah, yeah. But UB Blake looked, kept on till he was a hundred, so we yeah. have time. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how about uh, yeah? No, definitely, you definitely have time. <laughs> A lot of guys, in fact, Percy Heath didn't make his first recording until he was 80. Yeah. His um, first solo recording. I spoke to some of the old mothers of invention over the past couple of weeks. They're 88, and they're still, <laughs> they can't wait to get back out on the road. Sure. Yeah. Sure. It's what, it's what we do. I just said stay away from those groupies. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> and the, especially the ones in the wheelchair. Yeah. And, 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 if, and, and if anybody's going to throw their panties at you, it may become hazardous. <laughs> you mean their diapers? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. You got that right. Oh, that's funny. So, so what, ha- what happened with you and Ray Charles? How'd that come t- to pass? Well, actually, that was actually with the, the Fillmore. With, um, okay, with, with Aretha. The Fillmore recording, but he came on stage, yeah, yeah because okay. I grew up with it. Yeah. I mean, my style of music um, comes from, I mean, past jazz, um, which he was influential in. He crossed all boundaries, all segments of music. So yeah. I've been a Ray Charles fan from day one, and yeah. Reaper fan from day one, but she was playing jazz on Columbia. Yes. Um, but those two, um, those are my fla- my favorite flavors of music, basically. Yeah. Besides the Latin music that I play, I play a lot of Afro-Caribbean music. Oh, cool. I came up playing with, with um, Latin bands, Pucho and the Latin Soul Brothers, uh-huh. Willie Bobo, wow. and then the other band that would hire me when I was 13, 14, 15, 16 years old playing upright um i went to play even to this day when the phone rings i pick it up i'll, I'll take the call i make the gig i make the session uh-huh. if you got my number it must be time okay that so, makes so sense. it's like um yeah it's, it's always been that way i've never been a hustler to go out hustle for work um i do the session go home the phone rings i get up and go out basically yeah so this um whole coronavirus thing has um gotten a lot of people down but fortunately for me this has been like a, a way of my life forever basically being you know yeah working alone and um waiting for the phone to ring and the phone rings when i practice so as long as i practice the phone's going to ring <laughs> so that's, that's been the key yeah. you make the cause you get the effect there you go yeah you get great yeah um there was positive thinking right yeah yes you i've seen it happen yeah. you know i hate to practice but when i do practice the phone rings. Yep. Okay. I've seen it happen t- too many times throughout my life of the 63 years of playing. That's always um, been the way. And, and when, when did, I practice, the phone rings. And when did you um, when did you get into Buddhism uh, as uh, you know as heavy as you did do? You well, af- af- after um, the accident, um, besides Richard Davis telling me I could um, to get better, I had to um, teach. Prior to that, he saw the condition I was in, because mindly we would celebrate our birthdays together um, from the day this about from the time we met okay. um, in the studio. And uh, after the accident, he saw the condition I was in because I couldn't see it. Right. But he suggested I start chanting Nam Yoho Renge Kyo. Yeah. Um, and I did. And I, you know, he's, I said, chant for what? He said, this, this chant. I, said, I thought I was pretty cool. You know, of course, you're coming out of a major wreck. You don't think about anything. King Curtis had just got, got killed. So I was I was basically out of it, didn't know it. But I started chanting for parking space, living in New York, uh-huh. and not being able to park when I came home, right. and not moving at 8 o'clock in the morning, um, mm-hmm. basically, and have to, you know, coming from a gig at 4 o'clock in the morning to get up at 8, 7.30 to move the car or right. get to a gig and hop, park the car and get load the equipment in and load it out and, Shuffled the car back and forth, so I chanted for parking spaces, and that's why I started getting parking spaces yeah. on the right first time. Parking space, boom! Parking yeah. space, boom! It's, and it's never changed since 1973. <laughs> so it's like, you know, <laughs> among other stories I can tell you about, believe me. <laughs> wow. 
I have plenty of experiences with Timothy Mamlahot and get killed. That um, this 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 works. You know, this works. You talk to the universe, and the universe responds. Right, 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 right. And um, well, it just must have been a big, big switch over for you, though, to to get into Buddhism. Not um, really. No. No, it was easy. I mean, I had no religion prior to that. I mean, okay. I had brought. Brought up as a Christian, naturally. Yeah. Christian country, Christian family. My, you know, my mother was a Christian. My, my father was a Christian. My uncle was a uh, Christian minister. My father became a minister at some point in his life. Um, but I just, I didn't get it. And it wasn't until um, when King Curtis died on the 13th of August, and on the 14th of August, he appeared in my kitchen, hovering above my cabinets. At that point, I got religion. I started looking for something to um, to satisfy my, you know, what was what was this about? You know, sure. yep. I didn't know that, you know, I didn't know about this part of life, right. and so I got into numerology, existentialism, Kundalini yoga, astrology, all these occult sciences, and then had the accident, and then Richard tells me about chanting, and everything just came together. Everything I believed in was like embraced was in in the Buddhist. Canon, basically. Everything that I had thought in my head was actually now on paper right. that I could actually see and say, well, man, this has been done before and this is the way it's supposed to be and blah, blah, blah. And I just fell into it. And after a while, I started, you know, practicing and received my Gahunzen and I've been practicing basically ever since. I've had some fall off, of, you know, for a period of a long time. I came back. I've been back now for 20 odd years and, um, it's been a nice, it's an incredible life, basically. Yes, yes. And, and you know what? It, and what I found, and I told you how I got into it, kind of like the same way you did. It was a life, uh, you know, a life-altering. Emergency. Yeah, it was. It was yeah? A, yeah, it was a life-altering, um, you know, choice. And Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I was sick, too. But anyway, um, what I find is it's all common sense. Yeah. It's just... Um, yeah. Do the right thing, and you're Buddhist. You're right. That's the Buddha nature is yep. in all of us. Yep. You have to find a way to develop it. You yep. know, it's like you practice your instrument. You practice the Buddhist law. Yep. And the more you do it, the better it gets. Yep. Um, yep. You, you draw things to you. You push things. You either the protection of pushing things away from you. You your recognition of circumstances. Yes. It's just an awareness that's just a tool that you have to that you're able to actually. Study, you actually are to learn it, practice it, and perform it. Those right. four things I spoke about before, the four pillars. Yes. Um, I got them. Everything I've learned, basically, in my teaching comes from my practice of Buddhism, actually. And That's now, really the on foundation. Your, on your website, you actually go through some of the um, chanting um, rituals, how to do it, how easy it is to yes, do. I, I do. I do. I, put it, I live it there for people to discover so they can have an opportunity to, at their own pace, to... Right. Encounter it. Yep. And that's great. And it's rare that we have it. Yes, it is. And also, um, it's just so um, um, generous of you to, to, if you can't afford a book, you're giving it to, you're giving it away. Or, you know, if, if you don't know how to start chanting, you're giving it away. You're, you're kind of leading people to, uh, you know, to the answer, so to speak, you know? Certainly. Certainly. We have to do it, you know, at the, um, we see that we've had to sow the um, seeds of enlightenment at this time. Right. 
of um, of life, as opposed to the Buddhism of harvest. This is the Buddhism of the sowing, where we're trying to implant the knowledge, the wisdom, so people can grow with this new awareness. It's inside of them. It's just about bringing it out and having a tool in which to bring it out. Um, that's how we function. We function as humans with, with tools. We have the internet. Yes. We have our senses. These are all tools that we use. We have our emotions. These are tools that we have to learn to control. No, you're right. That's that's exactly what yeah. it is. And uh, the more tools you have, the easier it gets. Exactly. And the more efficiently you use the tools, the more you want to use them, and the more uh, you know, you're successful using them, and the more productive the disc goes, cause and effect, cause and effect. You know, like one, each one, teach one. Yep. So, um, let me uh, uh, let me kind of change uh, streams a bit. What at all the people that you've worked with, and I know there's been hundreds, if not thousands, <clears throat> who left a lasting impression on you? Who did you um, enjoy working with? Who taught you something? You know, working with them. Just about every one of them has taught me something. Uh-huh. You know, it's um, of course the you know, the person I spent most of the time with. Um, productively in the career and who's I, I bonded with was with Aretha. Um her history and her legacy and um, the music that we both shared um, she'd be at the top of the list how along with King Curtis um, of course B.B. King um, who became a great friend and it was great to see me able to you know Aretha was already there right. King Curtis was already there BB was already there, but he wanted something new. He was he knew he needed he knew he wanted something. Um, I was told after the fact. I was told as a show up and play. Well, <laughs> um, before the fact and do what I normally do. Well, and that's what I did. Um, but he was um I was glad to see him elevate his career because he did so much for the blues world yes. prior to that. You know, the first time I saw B.B. was in 1969. He opened for the Rolling Stones mm-hmm. at, uh, Madison mm-hmm. Square, at Madison Square Garden. And um, he was pretty much um, um, not known to the uh, Caucasian world back then. Mm-mm. No, uh-uh. that one record we recorded, one record we recorded the Wyatt the, um, and the Blues in June. Yeah. And then in November we recorded The Thrill is Gone. Uh-huh. Just that quick. It's not, you know, it's usually, um, they took us right back in the studio, same crew except for the piano player. Right. We swapped out um, Al Cooper for Paul Harris for whatever reason. Uh-huh. But it was Herb Lavelle's call. He was actually a contractor and producer, um, de facto producer, because he made all the calls about um, everything, how to set the mics up, you name it. Right. He was the one who did all the work. Nope. And, um... Uh, you know, BB had that live album that every guitar player knew. Oh yes, uh, uh, live at Cook County. Oh, I love that album. Yeah. I love that album. Yeah, and, that was some of his best work. Yeah, it was. And but you know, outside of that circle, he wasn't really known. You know. Yeah, yeah, I know that one record did it for him. Yep. That one record and Bertie Cousteau's strings playing the strings with the blues. Yeah. <laughs> he he did he mimicked he mimicked um, the cello part after what. Um, Hugh McCracken was playing on guitar, I believe. Yep. Well, he just, they were smart arrangers. They knew what the Bert was a brilliant. He was an Air Force Army um, captain in the Army yeah. prior, prior to his military life. So he was really organized and um, a lot of fun, fun to work with. And um, 
he hired hired him as the arranger, and he just did a hell of a job. And uh, yeah, you McCracken was a great player too. Oh man, Huey was was wonderful. He was another King Curtis discovery. King oh, really? Curtis discovered him. Yeah. Wow, I know mm-hmm. he, he he was pretty tight with um um, um, um what's his name Artie Cornfeld. Mm-hmm. You know, That's right. Yeah, Artie did a uh, album with you um on the Artie Cornfeld Tree, I think it was called. Um, I believe. Yeah, and and that was uh, the, I'll tell you an interesting story. That was the first paying gig that Steve Gadd had, his first <laughs> on the Artie really? uh, on the Artie Cornfield uh, tree. No oh, kidding. Okay. Oh, yeah, Steve Gadd and Tony Levin. You know the other. You know the bass player. Oh, that's the last name I was trying to think of. Tony Levin. Yeah, Tony. That was his first paying gig. Uh, he's too. a monster, man. Oh, Tony yeah. was one of the kids. Harvey, Tony, myself, Russell Vegas. Yeah. Um. Uh, besides Chuck. There was um, Jimmy Lewis. Mm-hmm. There was, um, in fact, the um, the vice president of Columbia, Jimmy Tyrell. Okay. He was a session bass player, and I, um, he was there before I was. Okay. Um, Bob Bushnell, um, Jimmy Tyrell, Russell Vegas, um, a lot of the guys uh, played, um, who switched over from upright bass to electric bass during that time. It was, they had a ton of bass players to call, believe me. Um, I'm missing a lot of people. Um, yeah, I yeah. know that a friend of mine, but oh, um, Jay Lingenhart, okay. he was one of them. Yeah. Um, the lot of cats were this. They have plenty of guys to pull the pool from, believe Felix, me. Felix, Felix Papillardi. Papillardi, yep. He was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, those are the first. There was, no short, there was no shortage of good musicians right. and good bass players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, Man, you you just like rattled off a mess of great bass players. Oh, I can if I open up my book, I can tell you. I can I, <laughs> I, I can read them to you. It is just come a little problem so, from my memory. Now, 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 your memoir book. Where, where do we find that? Um, that has to be published. I have um, my published my editor, uh-huh. um, um, Billy Knobloch, Doctor Knobloch, I should say. Uh huh. Um, we're looking on for finding a publisher. We've been working on it for the last, uh, I finished it in 18, three years now. Wow. We've been looking for the right, the right publisher. Okay. And now we're turning to, we're turning towards Europe now. Yeah. We're turning towards Europe and Japan. I'm looking forward to John's book too, John Altman's book. He's. Oh man, that's going to be a, that's going to be something. Yeah. That's going to be something. Yeah, I know. I mean, he Does is. He have a title? Does he have a title for it yet? Um, I don't know if he has a title for it, but I know he he kept um, meticulous notes throughout his whole uh, career. Oh my gosh! You know he mm, has. Mm, I mean, he he could tell you dates. Um, I I know I you, I can dig it. You know you were on, you, you, you you were on that monthly call with us a couple of, you know last week. Mm-hmm. The one prior to it, um, he said to Zoot. And to um, 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 Wally Waller from the Pretty Things, mm-hmm. he said to him, uh, whatever date it was, blah, 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 1967. The three of us right. were on the same build together. I was with Van Morrison, you were with the Pretty Things, and the mm-hmm. zoo you were working with, blah, 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 blah. He's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, show off. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, Van Morrison. Yeah, I recorded his um that that big his one of his big hits, Moon Dance, with Irene Reed. That's right. At Jimi Hendrix Studio, 
Yeah. And that was a gas. Yeah, that was a that was a blast. Electric lady. Electric lady. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Uh, um, Jim. Um, what's the engineer's name? Eddie. Eddie Kramer. Uh, Eddie. Eddie Kramer. Eddie Kramer. Eddie. Yeah. I saw Eddie a couple of years ago out here at Nam. Yep. Yeah, Eddie's a great. He's great. What a talent he's he is. Great. Yep. Yeah, Eddie gave. I think Eddie gave Hendrix that sound more than Hendrix did. Eddie did one. Well, they teamwork. Yeah, they did. Teamwork. It. Yeah, and didn't uh, King Curtis discover Jimmy too? Right. Yeah, he was in King. Jimmy was in King Curtis's band. Yep. Um, for a hot minute. Yeah. yeah. Um, however, that little him and Cornell. Yep. Mm-hmm. They did these. Um, I have a lot of pictures. I've seen a lot of photos with them. Yeah. Two of them um, in the bandstand with Chuck. Ray Lucas was the drummer. Chuck was the bass player. Wow. Paul Griffin was the keyboard player. Wow. Paul, boy. Yeah, he was. Paul was a monster. He was my favorite piano player. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He did it all. Incredible stuff. Wow, really, really incredible stuff. So, um, you did good work with Guitar Shorty. How about you? Doing anything on your own? On my own? No, I was. Um, I have, but I'm going to focus on the next thing. Is the um, on my own would be the Robert Johnson band that I put that put together okay. um, that we recorded. And we want to get that out. That would be considered on my own. Uh-huh. Um, but basically, I'm going to keep it simple with um, focus. Guitar Shorty's project is a much easier one to accomplish at this particular point in time. Sure. All, although the other albums has been actually done and finished, where we have to do some legal things that we wanted to get through, and just the promotion of it has to be handled properly. A lot of little ticky tacky things. So we're going with the um, Guitar Shorty um, album, yeah, documentary. It's going to be turned into a documentary. Basically, we haven't gotten a, a name for it, but uh, we got some interesting feedback from the industry on um, the wanting to hear something like this. So oh, great. we're going to push this through and see if we can make it happen. Okay, well, you know what I'm going to do now? I'm going to play The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. You're on base on that, and then we'll come back and say goodnight. We've been talking for two hours already. You do know that, right? It's time flies, man. Yeah, hold on. <laughs> so let's get this started. Well, Don't go anywhere. Yeah, play some music. Okay. All right. Ambulance. 
NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the fourth from 29 district. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Woman Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Key, nor sung by Glenn Campbell. Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or the rare earth, the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Okay. Gil Scott Heron with uh, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And uh, Jerry Jamont was on um, that tune as well. Incredible resume. So, uh, uh Gil was a good guy to deal with, huh? Well, most people in the studio, Elliot, they come in, they're angels. They don't want to waste studio time. They don't want to have any problems. They want to get in and get out. They want to, you know, do what they have to do. Yeah. So it's, um, it's usually a smooth process unless, like, there's something wrong with the music. Right. Right, right, right. That they couldn't get it out. Okay. So that's when they have issues and, you know, it's, they're under the microscope. They're being scrutinized, you know. So it's um, we want to make it happen smoothly. Sure. So everybody's good. So um, <laughs> yeah. So we're gonna have to end the show shortly. But what do you want? Um, what can we tell the people before we leave? If if people want to get in touch with you, how do they? Uh, can they? You know, hit you. Can they find you on the internet? Can they find you on your website? Is there? Um, you can find me on my website. Okay. You can find me on um, Facebook. Uh, my Twitter account was hacked. Okay. So I can't use that anymore. Mm-hmm. There's something called Instagram, I think. Yeah, there is something called um, Instagram. But I don't, I don't really use it. And right now I'm getting an echo. Okay. <laughs> so um, Wait, hold on, hold on. we won't be talking much longer. <laughs> hold on. Are you still getting the echo? It's gone now. Okay, good. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm accessible. You can find me. Good. Okay. And uh, again, uh, your website, jerryjamont.com? Yes, J-E-M-M-O-T. Yes, and that's for uh, any of the books, any information. Um, have been any recordings, any recordings out there that we could get? Oh, yeah, there are lots of my, I've had 10 seats since I've recorded 10 CDs um, released by CD Baby. Okay. Under my own label, um, what you're going to do? Okay. Um, you find the stuff I did with the John did with me. It's called an album called Addiction. 
Uh-huh. There's one called um, the the base on the case. There's called Field List. There's the best of Jerry Jamat. There's Make It Happen. There's a bunch of stuff up there that I've done under my own um, in the last 30, 30, 40 years. There's one that was produced out of Japan. There's one I did with my friend Bill Linton. Um, Jerry Jamat in New York View. Um, I got um, bass in the low, the low bottom. What was that? That bass? What does it say here? Japanese label. Mm-hmm. Hard to find. Um, it says the bass project. Oh yeah, caught in the low beam. Okay. So um, what's out there? Everything is on um, Amazon or either um, CD Baby. Um, or you actually YouTube because everything on CD Baby went to YouTube. Right. You can YouTube anything. All those CD Baby use um, um, albums I did CDs. They're they now YouTube um, videos. And how about so and how about uh, um, Spotify and stuff? Are you? Uh... This on Spotify. It's on okay. everything you can think of of a licensing from every major licensor. Okay. That's, um, doing downloading these days. If they CD Baby was very well organized. Um, sure. Derek uh, Fish, they really had a great plan. Great, good people too. Great Derek, Derek Silver. Um, so yeah, we're really really well taken care of in that aspect. Uh, it's accessible. It's available. And it is agreeable. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, it's it's easy to find music now, so there's no excuse for you guys not to yeah, del- and it's delve free. a little deeper. Yep. Yes, and it's free. And I always tell them, if you like something that uh, an artist that you like, find out about their life and right. see what it is that you might have in common with that particular artist that you didn't even know about. That's right. And that might tell you why you like their music. Yes, yes. And go deeper from there. Also, I, I want to just backtrack before I say goodbye to you. In fact, I don't care if we stay late tonight, if it's okay with you. Uh, Herbie Hancock, what did you do with Herbie? Uh, we did a lot of sessions together, commercial sessions for a company called John and Murtaugh. Uh-huh. And we did, a, we did an album with um, Freddie Hubbard. Right. Did, um, you, did you deal with Dave Rubinson? Um, yeah, the... Um, Producer. Yes. No, 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 I didn't know. I didn't do it. No, no. And those are different. I mean, I, I'll get him missing with David Rubin. Oh, okay. I get confused between Rubin and Rubinson. Yeah. The name doesn't make a bell, but I might have dealt with him. But um, David, David, I did an album. David used to uh, own the Automat. Mm-hmm. You know the studio in San Francisco. No, I'm not familiar with that. Okay, that's okay. That was David. Okay, because David did a lot of the uh, Herbie Hancock albums. I don't know if you worked in any of those with him. And you, I did one with I'm um, called Marvin Dishna, I think it's called Marvin Dishna. Yes, yeah. um, Dishna with uh, Patrick Lisa. Yeah. Patrick. That's what I did with Herbie. On a, a besides of the, the commercial stuff, we did commercials together. We did um, okay. albums together. We did some great stuff with um, with John Murtaugh. Oh, okay, cool. And, and, and a lot of commercials we did um, jingles with. Um, I mean, they, these guys were hired like Hubert Laws, um, Gary Grady Tate. Uh-huh. Um, all the uh, Joe, Joe, um, uh, this the all the jazz cats, Richard Davis, Ron Carter, myself, right. uh, Ed Shaughnessy. You see, um, Mel, Mel Lewis on a session. Um, they hired the, the exclusively jazz musicians to make their jingles. Okay, so and we, and we did an album with John called John Blues Current. Oh, okay. In fact, Kirby's playing on that, I believe. Uh-huh. Called Blues Current, and he did a thing with the synthesizers. This is before synthesizers were really popular. Right. Um, this is like in 1969, 1970. That was Patrick Gleason, right? Uh, 
know that name doesn't ring a bell. It was John Murtaugh. It was Grant, Hal Grant and John Murtaugh. Okay. It was a, that's what was the company, and the album was called Blues Current. Okay. So, and it's still available. It's out there. And what did you do with the Rascals? People Gotta Be Free mm-hmm. and a bunch of other stuff that's on there, Freedom Suite. Yeah. And Richard Davis was also on that album. Yeah. We used to, at that time, maybe we do stuff, we put it in the can, and they release it maybe a year later. Right. Um, there'd be a lot of different bass players, a lot of different musicians. They'd, you'd always be always record an extra track to release at some later date right. and some of the collection of music. So that was common practice back in those days. Yeah. They'd always record something to leave in the can uh, for later. And the Japanese record labels always wanted an additional track, right? Yeah, that was um, Rhythm Music. It was um, Rhythm Music at, um, what's the name of the... Um, um, uh, nonstop something. Um, uh-huh. something. Uh, let me look at the album cover here if I can read it. Uh, uh, I can't. This the I only have the um the front side of the album. Okay, <laughs> but it's out there. Yeah, it's that's out there. Okay, my friend. Well, I'm gonna play. People got to be free as our uh, uh, exit tune tonight. Oh, cool! And I want to thank you for uh, spending the last two hours with me and I'm going to call you this week I want to set up another date with you just let me know when you're, it's convenient for you and uh, you know I enjoyed speaking to you tonight I, I too Elliot our mutual backgrounds really come together yeah um, uh, and that's surprisingly knowing that we know John yeah <laughs> um, you know they say birds of a feather flock together so um, yeah. I thank the audience for their time and um, look forward to um Rapping with y'all again. Yeah, let me get this started. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's Bacon or Sausage Egg and Cheese Biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's Breakfast Biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's Bacon or Sausage Egg and Cheese Biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. All the world of a
radio show is listener funded if you wish to contribute our paypal info is not your mother's radio at gmail.com only wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg cheese and your choice of bacon or sausage did we mention the part where wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery wendy's breakfast biscuits hot and buttery so don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's Bacon or Sausage Egg and Cheese Biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's Breakfast Biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's Bacon or Sausage Egg and Cheese Biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. That's notyourmothersradio at gmail.com. We would like to thank you in advance for any contributions. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Only Wendy's serves a better breakfast with a better biscuit. Our hot buttery breakfast biscuits are loaded with a fresh cracked egg, cheese, and your choice of bacon or sausage. Did we mention the part where Wendy's biscuits are hot and buttery? Wendy's breakfast biscuits, hot and buttery. So don't take a chance with those other guys. Bet on a better breakfast with Wendy's bacon or sausage egg and cheese biscuit. Choose wisely. Choose Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's during breakfast hours. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Fly on the Wall. 
There are more great interviews to follow so please list us as one of your favorites and be sure to follow. We are listener funded. If you would like to assist our Venmo info is New Mexico DJ service. The PayPal info is New Mexico DJ service at gmail.com. Please remember to share our info. Thanking you all.